again. We're back for episode 54 of Customers Who Click. Today's guest is John Halley of Wonderkind, and we're going to be talking about the importance and power of first-party data. Something I go on and on about is how important it is to build up your own customer database and enrich it with quality data about those customers, both implicit and explicit. As we'll discover shortly, this data makes your entire marketing strategy more powerful from acquisition through to customer service and retention. First-party data helps you give a much more personalized and intimate experience to your customers, making them far more likely to become engaged and retained by your business. Let's get John on now to explain more. Hi, John. Thanks for joining me today. Um, do you want to give us a bit of your background, a bit about you, why you are doing what you do at the moment? Sure. Yeah. Hi, Will. So um, my, my name is John Halley. I'm uh, the European Executive Director for New Business at Wonderkind. So I joined the organisation about three years ago um, to help scale the business outside of the US. So we're a New York headquartered business um, and I now own the strategy and execution of uh, our European new business go to market. I guess prior to that, about 11 years in B2B SaaS uh, with the likes of sort of ServiceNow and Box. Um, why I do what I do is a good question. So um, I, I love a challenge. Um, I'm a passionate problem solver. So I think I've, I've purposely plumped for working at disruptive sort of hyper growth businesses where um, they're relatively early aid entrance into, into Europe. And then what this means ultimately is you're helping build a business, put your own imprint on it um, and having a bit more of a meaningful impact than you perhaps could at others. And then I think the other important bit is around development. So I've had the the privilege of working for a, a number of incredibly talented people and I've always been of the opinion that whatever you've learned is certainly right to be passing that stuff on. So empowering those within the org, um, you know, it's one of the incredibly satisfying parts of what I do. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been in startups. Uh, it's where I, I kind of began. So yeah, I'm, I'm well aware what it's like to, to like open a new office, for example, um, and lead things and even be kind of, I guess, one of the one of the only real marketers in a company that actually has already about 100 people. Um, do you want to give us just a quick intro to, to Wonderkind and what, what the business does as well? Yeah, sure. Um, so we're a, a performance marketing channel um, that ultimately scales like one-to-one messaging. So I think that the topic of today is around first-party data. So a lot of what we'll probably end up talking about has some form of connotation to the sort of value that we drive. Um, we are solely focused on retail, um, on e-commerce vendors throughout Europe and, uh, and the UK specifically. Work with over 450 uh, retail brands at the moment. And as I said earlier, we're, we're headquartered out of New York. Awesome. Cool. Well, let's um, let's dive into first-party data then. I guess, do you want to give like a very brief introduction to it? Um, like, w- what is it? Why should people care? Um, why is it important? How it differs from third-party data and stuff like that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so I guess I'll talk about it from the from the perspective of retailers because it's, it's kind of what I know and um, I can talk to that probably slightly better. So I guess as it pertains to retailers, um, first-party data is really um, information that's kind of collected physically by them from their customers and from their audiences. So it's it's directly from the source, so to speak. I think particularly for retailers, it tends to come from probably two buckets. So firstly, you've got um, on-site. So that could be things like behavior. It could be preferences. It could be intent. Um, and then secondly, you've got CRM-related data. So that could be you know things like purchase history, frequency, and you know birthdays and these sorts of things. Um, I guess why it's important, the there's, there's a number of pieces to it, I guess, to keep it relatively high level. I think that the primary pieces are it's it's there to help increase things like campaign effectiveness, um, you know, create more bespoke and more personalized customer journeys. But ultimately, like the more you can learn about like your customer, um, the better you can market to them um, and the better the conversion propensity of your visits is going to be. 
I think it's also fairly safe to say at the moment that it's increasing in importance. So if you think about um, the growth of things like text message marketing, um, the implications of iOS 14 and um, you know the cookie expiration windows, um, the more of this kind of first party data that you're able to collect and enrich, like the, the more value there is to be driven um, from, from retailers using this sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do I, I do loads of work in kind of uh, personalization, segmentation, CRM, like retention, that sort of stuff. So yeah, having having that first party data and being able to uh, I don't know, you know, pull a segment of customers who have bought a certain category of product um, and who show these kind of similar bits of data, whether it's I don't know, a birthday or a location or something, mm-hmm. um, really important because yeah, it just lets you. It just lets you personalize that information a bit better as well. Um, so, you know, there's there's loads more you can do with it as a business because I suppose you can, uh, uh, you, you just have more data about your customer. You can understand them better. But from a customer point of view, they are getting better communications as well. Yeah. So their yeah. experience is a bit better. Um, are there any, yeah, so are there any kind of misconceptions um, about about first-party data or, or about first-party versus third-party? Uh, sure. Um, so I guess we hear, we hear a couple. Again, I, I can talk specifically to, to, to WonderKind. So I think one that we hear quite frequently is that you only need first-party data, right? And I think the challenge of that is that it, it can fundamentally limit your understanding of a wider web audience. So a good blend of both um, enables organizations, specific retailers to kind of model things at scale, right? So if you think about like data enrichment and using first and third party data in tandem, like Facebook prospecting, right? It gives you access to 30 to 35 year olds within London, right? You may not have first party data on. The ability to leverage third party data in that instance enables you to make more sort of informed marketing decisions on like how you can go and target and acquire them. Um, you may also then think about like uh, from a physical retail outlet. So using things like electoral data to determine like where your next store is going to go. Um, you know, the usage of this is ultimately using, uh, is driving some of significant investment decisions. So that would be kind of one of them. I think the other misconception that we hear, and again, I, I, was, I, I often say this work-related, if I can get through a conversation uh, without mentioning GDPR, then uh, we're, we're having a pretty good, good day. But I think the other really standout misconception that I hear a lot of is that GDPR prohibits the use of third-party data. So Assuming like transparency, safeguards, um, and the relative uh, like regulatory controls are in place, um, there is nothing preventing um, an organisation leveraging third-party data to inform and base marketing decisions on and, and communicate. Right. Um, I think the other piece to this as well that I would argue is using this, you're actioning based on consent. And I would argue that specific consent in this instance, like, is naturally going to drive better performance. So I, I often use the example when talking to um, partners and customers and the like that you're, you're going to get a better level of performance from a you know remarketing via triggered email as you would do perhaps through display retargeting because the individual is specifically consenting into receiving the former, not necessarily the latter. Yep, absolutely makes sense. GPI, yeah, really valid point. I think um, it just got. <sighs> don't know if overhyped is the right way of putting it, but it got kind of blown out proportion, I think. Um, everyone everyone thought like the world was going to end for marketers mm-hmm. back in, what, May 18, I think yeah. it was. And I think, I don't feel like a lot has changed. Um, 
you know, there probably are a few more opt-ins, opt-in boxes out there. Um, but I think there are still plenty of companies who uh, don't quite follow the rules and just say, you know, by filling out this form, you also opt into our marketing, you also opt in to receive marketing communications and things. Um, edge of a cliff moment. Um, I like much like the uh, the millennium bug, right? We woke up the next day and the world was still spinning on its axis. So um, I think the, the the way that we often refer to it is the the introduction of it is ultimately regulation catching up with consumer preference. So we are now being marketed to in a manner that we have consented to, right? So I, I, there's not been a massive tectonic shift in the whole the whole thing. Um, it's just the fact that the way marketeers operate now needs to just be a little bit more consensual. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I guess what, one thing I kind of always felt was while it's annoying it, when you buy from a brand, it was annoying when uh, they also added you to their marketing list. Mm. It was a bit annoying, but it wasn't the worst thing. I feel like GDPR kind of, the, the, the thing it, it should have done was stop uh, like um, bad, really bad behavior, like really bad behavior. So I don't know, selling lists, buying lists, emailing someone who's never even heard of you, because that's that's what really bothers people. Um, that's when their data is getting you know, into the hands of other people and they're not aware. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just felt like, like I, I didn't feel like on the uh, when it came. Well, I mean, we're only really talking about email marketing and things like that. I guess one thing GDPR has done is improve a bit of security as well. But, but and, and around data breaches, but just when, when it comes to whether you've got an opt-in, like a de- that definite, clear opt-in to an email, mm-hmm. I wonder how many people were actually bothered by that and how many people just went, oh, well, I'll just unsubscribe. Or or maybe they just, um, you know, maybe they get annoyed with that business and stop and, and not come back to that business. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder how many people were actually seriously concerned that, a brand that they purchased from just started to email them marketing stuff. Mm. I have very mixed feelings about GDPR. I don't don't really. I mean, yeah, from my experience, I don't really feel like it's it's changed that much um, because the people doing the bad stuff are still doing it. Yeah, you know, I still get loads of emails. Um, I still get. In fact, recently I've been getting loads of uh, of like scam calls, and so my data must have got out out somewhere. And you know, I'm never you know I'm never going to hear of someone getting uh, a, a massive fine because they've because uh, my data got released um, mm. breached. But yeah, um, so what are the you know you mentioned um, there's a misconception around uh, you, you only need first party data. Uh, what are some of the key things a brand should be doing um, when marketing and trying to grow uh, regarding that first party third party data? Great question. Um, I guess where to start with that. So I guess, uh, firstly, something I read recently. So I think if you look at a 30,000 foot view at e-com in general, right, e-com is expected to grow, I think, about 14% by the end of this year to just shy of about $5 trillion, right? Um, over the next three years, up to 2024, it's just going to be shy of like $6, $6 trillion. So what, what the reason reason going down this path right is the the overall e-com opportunity is increasing in size so from a growth perspective like retailers need to be at the front of the pack because they need to be maximizing the slice of spend that is inevitably going to be increasing you know given the world that we currently find ourselves in so 
The counter to that is that if you're not keeping pace um, with that kind of percentage increase, then there's an argument that you're regressing in size, right? So that creates a whole different uh, whole different um, problem. So a, cu- a couple of things to consider, I guess, relating to first and third party data. So at a very high level, like I would, I would argue that you know, looking at things like where you're acquiring your customers from, like what's the specific strategy there, um, you know, are you looking at quality versus quantity? Um, like most of the organisations that we happen to speak to in the UK specifically are very, very laser focused on the profitability of the cohorts of individuals that they typically go after. Um, and then probably more specific to some of the, the, the first part of data bit is around the general unit economics of things, right? So on that acquisition strategy, whether it's data capture or whether it's just getting people to the site, like, are you offering discounts in return for the X, Y, and Z? Like, are you are you leveraging like heavy like margin gobbling things like affiliate based marketing channels and such, right? Because if you are, like, there's obviously some some concerns there, um, you know, in the in the further reaching part of it. I'm I'm by no stretch of the imagination, uh, you know, an expert in this this field per se, but you know, I speak to hundreds of retailers in a in an annual period and. A major theme right now, seemingly tying into the first party data bit, is really striking a better balance between buying your audience um, versus making it or building it, right? So, which is where that kind of first party data capture comes in. Because the argument would be if you can get better at the latter, then the cost implications of the former are, you know, they're, they're very plain to see. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, well, I definitely agree. Yeah, there's a lot of com- conversation around uh, buying an audience, well, you know, buying customers or, um, or sorry, yeah, not customers, buying an audience or creating an audience, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is the same thing, you know, it's the same concept, whether you're e-commerce or, or content. Um, yeah, it's it's really easy to buy, buy the audience. You know, you can set ads up, you can run Facebook ads, PPC, whatever, mm-hmm. you will generate sales, but if you don't take it any further, you know, you, you're going to get that one sale per person and you're going to have to reacquire them every single time. So, um yeah, then capturing that first party data, but then using it properly. So, you know, having those those better conversations, I suppose, I think you mentioned one-to-one conversations right at the start, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, I guess, do you, do you want to tell us a bit more about that, actually? Um, why, like what that really means and, and how, because obviously one-to-one conversations doesn't sound scalable. Yeah, I mean, it's that that's the challenge, right? And again, without without turning this into a, a, a wonderkind sales pitch, I think, just just simply looking at how how you communicate with your audience in general right there are many different ways i think one of the biggest challenges that marketers face is that they've got 20 plus channels to pick from um you know users are visiting the website on you know multiple different devices at any one point in time so it makes naturally like one-to-one communication very challenging um the the interesting thing is when you then start stripping back and looking at things like the 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 revenue per send for something like a triggered email versus something like a programmatic or, or BAU email, right? So, I would argue the former is very much on a more of a one to one basis because it's based on you know specific intent shown from a user on site, and then an email is activated off the back of that to that person. Whereas a business as usual or programmatic email, you know, irrespective of of how sophisticated your segmentation might be, you're never going to get the same bang for buck, right? So um, well, one of the challenges that we help a lot of organizations, um, or one of the gaps that we help kind of kind of traverse is 
it's scaling the number of the the one-to-one the high performing messages um that brands are able to send um how we do that you know happy to kind of get into perhaps a later date but it's fundamentally about how do you know and identify more people that you're paying via these very expensive acquisition channels um to come back to your website so that that's ultimately the challenge and, and the delta of it i think a lot of it then boils back into the kind of creation and um, ownership of, of your channels and building your audiences. Because if you build them, um, own them, then you know paying for them multiple times to come back and purchase again almost kind of goes away and you're in control of that and the, the cost, uh, cost implications thereafter are, are, are clear for everyone to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can bring back, uh, if you can bring back the customers yourself, you're paying, I don't know, like pennies mm-hmm. to bring people back each time. Whereas... If you're relying on advertising, you could be paying five, 10, 20 pounds, maybe more. It obviously depends on the business. You know, I worked in um I worked in the gambling industry for a little bit. And if you had to reacquire a person through acquisition, you were probably looking at maybe a hundred pounds. Hmm. Uh, and actually, sorry, that was probably through like branded PPC. Um, you know, it could be anything from a hundred to three hundred, depending on the channel. So that's it's just ridiculously expensive. Um, whereas you know once they're in, you've got the email set up. You know you might be paying, I don't know, ten, twenty thousand a year for your uh, your email platform when you, when you've got you know we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of customers. So on a per send per customer basis, it's, it's just costing you nothing to bring people back. Mm. Um, and, and once you you know once you've got them in for that first time, uh, it, it does become a lot easier. Uh, I was about to say something that I actually disagree with. Um, I think I think a lot of people, a lot of businesses almost do assume that once someone's in for the first time, it's job done. But I think you'll agree, especially with the, the one-to-one conversation piece, it's, it's absolutely not. You've still got to nurture them, mm. got to build that relationship, uh, which is where first-party data comes in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the... One of the one of the simplest ways of thinking about it, and if I ever have to to talk to anybody outside of the industry that we're in, that really helps conceptualise the, the the challenge is if you think about what Facebook and Google are particularly good at, right? It's knowing billions of people across the globe, right? So you're paying ultimately for the the opportunity to have the people that they know come to your website and hopefully purchase something. What they're not quite as um, au fait with is is helping you nurture a relationship with them, identify them, and then bring them into this piece that we're talking about here, which is you know owning them and, and curating that journey and curating the conversation and having that one to one based relationship with them, right? So that that's that's the challenge. Um, and then so the baking back into the first party data, it's the more of this stuff that you can capture and own. Um, you know, the more more of the the outcome you're able to to determine yourselves. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you say, um, they're really good at you know they know their audience. They're really <laughs> they're really good at um, letting letting companies pay to drive that uh, that audience to their websites. Um, but I'm sure if they had it their own way, they would try and build that whole kind of e-commerce ecosystem within the platform. I mean, we're seeing it with social commerce already. You know, being able to buy from Instagram um, and, and channels like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure if if Facebook had their own way, uh, the customer would never leave Facebook. They'd be able to get everything they need from it. Um, fortunately, I don't think it's ever going to go down that way. Uh, and I, I can't see a lot of the bigger brands. I can't see any sensible brands doing it, to be honest. Um, I don't know if I should have said that, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, might be, they might be listening more careful. careful. Yeah. 
yeah, what are, what are some of the mistakes uh, brands make when, I guess, building their audiences, but yes, I guess, related to, to first and third party data? Yeah. Um, so I think I alluded to a minute ago. So again, going over old ground a little bit here, but I think the biggest issue, right, is that the e-commerce or digital like retailers, they have 20 plus channels to choose from. They have the device issue of people coming to site on multiple. So I think one of the biggest things that we see is that like there is not a one size fits all way of, of, of building an audience. Right. So I often say that the level of sophistication has to improve the more complex something becomes. So we, we see a couple of things like first and foremost, so many brands that are so heavily reliant on, on discounting. Right. And that tends to teach relatively bad habits. So if you think about something like exit intent, which is something that um, we, we pioneered, doesn't have to be like a margin destroying giveaway in order to, to to redeem some form of information with that action right so calling out like an existing value proposition on site that has a lower financial impact to you um, but also justifies the intent that that individual was showing during that journey is a significantly better thing to do once they're exiting um, I think the really important thing here is the, the sophistication aspect so you know this is a specific action based on a specific individual going back to that one-to-one piece that, that may or may not be right for the whole cohort of traffic that you bought through that specific channel that got them there in the first place the the, the second mistake that i see a lot of um and i find you know super frustrating going back to again bashing google and facebook again which is probably not, not, not a great idea but um the many of the brands we talk to are just hooked on Google and Facebook and have probably underinvested or are late to the party when it comes to you know the the, the growing of their audience or building their own audience. Um, so having a really solid strategy um, for data capture audience growth is super important. So once you've acquired that individual, back to the point we made a minute ago, like why would you want to double or triple the cost each time you know you, they're ready to buy again? right demographics in particular like if you look at gen z and millennials they will give data away freely if they see value in doing so so i was was talking to a colleague of mine uh was it this week or last someone a little younger than me i'm I'm not going to go into that but um so depop was a great example so you know the whole process for installing that app like you've then got to go through a process of building a profile there's a bundle of questions you've got to answer around brand preference, around sizing, around so on and so on and so on. That it takes up to about five minutes, right, until you've you've got to a stage where you can browse products on it. Now, the reason the reason I'm bringing this up here is that there are there are demographics, particularly Gen Z millennials, that are more than happy to give data away if they can see a specific reason for doing so, which is probably in this instance is like a better user experience. But I think the, the biggest challenge is that we we've we've just become so reliant on just pumping money into these huge you know massive performance marketing engine to drive people to the site. We haven't really thought about like the connotations of like what else there might be to to help um, you know drive a revenue based opportunity that involves owning that stuff and, and and kind of the control of it thereafter. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, in the, the I think the very first episode of this uh, the customers of Click podcast, I spoke with Will Stewart Jones from Three Radical, and they have this kind of concept of earned earned data, which is just what you've been talking about. Really, if if someone sees the value in it, they'll be happy to to kind of give that data away. And I guess even the, the the phrasing of that sounds a bit negative, I guess, or I don't know. It's got a weird connotation to it, but it's just you know the explanation of yeah, it's it's just what you were saying with Depop. It's that uh, you're not really giving away data in that sense. There's no, I don't think there's any privacy issues with me telling a business that I'm more interested in 
this type of product over this type of product. Hmm. It gives me if it gives me a better experience on on their app or website, it's it's better for me. And I do think, yeah, like, like you said, you know, people are willing to give away data. You know, people are willing to be helpful. They're willing to tell businesses how to be better. Um, yeah, and this is a, an example which is a, a little bit different because it's customer survey. Um, but I've I've done one with a client recently, and the response rate has been fantastic. Um, but also, the on the second survey we did to to half their database. 85% of respondents said they'd be willing to speak to the company about their feedback in more detail. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think part of that was because the questions we were asking were about the customer. It was, you know, how do you, how do you feel about your products? What would have, what would have helped you in the buying process? What, would you, what did you need to know more? It wasn't, how did you rate the website? Do you like this feature? You know, that sort of stuff. So, I know that's not quite the same as, you know, first part data and, and that sort of thing, but it's still people are willing to give that information if they think it's going to lead to a better experience for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you then layer on top of that, I think on average across most retailers um, online, only like 75% of people that visit your website won't buy anything in that session, right? So what, what is your strategy for individuals that you are still paying for to acquire to get them there in the first place? And this is what I mean about the strategy. You have to have a strategy in place for this because there's a massive missed opportunity um, and also the cost implications of that by driving these people there and not really getting anything out of them each time. And then extrapolate that over multiple different retailers that perhaps have higher consideration purchases like the luxury fashion world and all this sort of stuff like that 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 whole problem is exacerbated you know four to five x because the amount of times that people are coming back before they place a purchase is you know potentially nine or eleven sessions right so that 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 whole notion of you know having a fair exchange um or fair value exchange let's call it um maybe for an email address maybe for some other data that might be relevant to you as a retailer so that you can use that or get some value from it and also then encourage a better CX or, you know, a better, um, you know, just general engagement with that individual. It's, you know, it's a super missed opportunity for a lot of retailers out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I like what you mentioned earlier about uh, exit intents and discounting. Obviously, discounting is, it's it's just, I guess, I don't know if it's just considered best practice or something, or if if everyone feels that because everyone is doing it, we have to do it as well. But it's, yeah, you're right, that, that exit intent, you know, 99% of the time when I see them, there's a discount on them. Mm. And a discount is not going to get me to purchase at that stage. What a discount is going to do is uh, take 10% off the purchase when I have actually got been convinced that I'm going to buy it. But that convincing is done you know, by the website, by the information, uh, maybe by some further emails. So maybe as an incentive to get people onto your email list, it does work. Um but it's similarly, actually, with abandoned carts, I think that's the same issue. Um, fortunately, now, you know, the, at least most of the time, the first abandoned cart email is not uh, is not discounted. Um, but quite often, one of the emails later will. But also what happens is most of the time, that first email is just, you left something in your basket. Here is that product. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So it does nothing to add to the experience to, to try and convince you to buy it's it's literally a a case of we're convinced you're going to buy for some reason you just forgot to actually hit the checkout button that's mm. that's kind of what it is when like you say you know 75 percent of people 
well, it's probably even more, I'm going to buy uh, from a website at least the first time around. So if you can get that, if you can get a product in a basket, you've still got a job to, you know, there's a reason they left. Um, for some reason that some people, that reason might be uh, they ran out of time, just, you know, got distracted by something else. They might come back naturally and buy it, but it doesn't hurt to kind of put those benefits back in front of them and that value. I think that's one of my one of my biggest peeves at the moment, pet peeves. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just this this assumption that once once someone's on a website or once you've got their email address, it's it's kind of job done. Um, and actually, uh, I know I keep going on, but uh, <laughs> what you said right at the start of that actually about um, uh, companies, you know, being obsessed with Google and Facebook and just pumping money into there and not really focusing on the retention side. Um, I, I think there is just a case of you know, it's almost like Google, Google and, and Facebook and the acquisition is the hard part. That's where you've really got to, you know, you know really put the time and attention in because also you're, you're pumping money into it. So you're spending all that money. So therefore that money needs more resource, more care and attention. Mm. Once they're in, once you've got them into your CRM platform, it's again, it's like job done. Like you've got them. Now you've just got to hit, hit them with an email every now and again. Um, to, to bring them back but yeah i think hopefully you know over the next well i mean it should still be happening now but hopefully we'll see more and more um companies taking a bit more of a personalized and segmented approach to those emails yeah yeah i couldn't agree more do you see any big trends coming up in the way businesses approach first party data i suppose the whole ios 14 thing might uh, might come into this yeah, so yeah, I think we, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier on, but I think it's pretty worthwhile giving a bit more airtime on it. So, I mean, look, the, the, the headline here is there's going to be an increased focus on the usage and reliance on first-party data, in, in you know, in my personal opinion, but certainly based on what we're, we're seeing and hearing in the, in the wider uh, retail sort of landscape. I think there's there's two things happening. You've alluded to the first. I think the iOS 14 update, like, so in a nutshell, um, you know, users can now ultimately opt out of being or having their data transfer between the apps that exist on the phone. Um, so you could be you know, browsing on Safari or, or Chrome and Facebook and Google can no longer um, use that data for advertising purposes. So you're naturally going to see a scaling back at the effectiveness of those, those channels that you're investing in. Um, and you're not just going to get the same like impact or level of return from it in general. I think the other thing that's um, that's kind of on the horizon or has been kind of bubbling up to the surface for a, for a fair length of time is the the kind of cookie apocalypse, right? So I think Safari set this trend, um, and a lot of the other browsers that we all operate with now are kind of following suit. So by the end of 2022, it'll be a, a vastly different landscape there. So I guess what does that mean for like the first party data realms? I think there's naturally just going to be this like increase in the usage of it in general, and also thereafter the scaling of owned channel marketing um, like more aggressively. So we're seeing certainly that more and more brands are like really laser focused on data capture. They're kind of growing their audiences more so than paying for it, which is obviously ties into what we were talking about earlier. But I think one of the really interesting things that we're certainly seeing um, both in the UK and US at the moment is there's been a real surge in text message marketing. So reaching brand new audiences on brand new channels, serving the right message to the right person at the right time, but also to the right, like, the right, um, the right tool that they use more frequently. Um, the, 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 these two trends are ultimately going to drive that, right? The first party data and the capturing of it are super important to, um, to a lot of this stuff actually happening. Yeah, I'd like. I would like to see um, SMS used a bit, a bit more and a bit better. This came up in another episode actually, and I think 
the the brands that pop up in my in my message box inbox are uh, pizza brands and gambling <laughs> brands. They they seem to really make use of it. I, I, I'm not not sure they're particularly good at it. Um, it, it definitely it's still kind of broadcast uh, messaging. Yeah. Um, but th- those are two industries that I've really really picked up on SMS and and uh, and use it a lot. Um, I, I think I barely get anything anything from any kind of standard e-commerce businesses like you know fashion or anything like that um, unless it is transactional which is great you know I really like SMS used tr- for transactional reasons so I don't know confirming an e- uh, sorry confirming an order or, or shipping related um, but I think there's definitely much more they could be doing um, to use it as a marketing channel and I think like you said you know the right the right people are on the right channel at the right time um, and I think that's probably where maybe a lot of brands struggle just tr- trying to actually put the data together to be able to do that. I think there's, there's, there's also a little bit of behind the scenes. Um, like I think the text message or SMS related marketing has historically been quite an expensive medium to communicate with um, your audience on. That's, that's changing. Um, that's changing gradually. But I think if you look at the bigger picture here, like we're talking about own channels being, you know, in most instances underinvested in. So when you've got something that is, probably going to perform incredibly well like in their mind's eye but they aren't able to invest in it given the costs associated to it it's kind of you know a bit of a catch-22 scenario i think with a lot of retailers out there it's not it's not massively expensive channel to get into is it it's just expensive to to use at scale but really i mean it's only expensive if you use it badly well i mean all right if you even if you use it well you know you're still spending the money but i think you by saying something's expensive, you're saying it's it's kind of a high cost for the return, really. Um, and I wonder if that's the problem. One of the problems with SMS, like, like you say, you know, there is a much higher cost to an SMS than an email. Um, and I wonder if loads and loads of marketers and loads of brands try, have tried to do it before, but they've just used it like they were using email, which was a blast. And so when you send out, I don't know, you know. 200,000 SMS messages, you get a really low return on it because your messages aren't personalized or anything, which makes that channel look really expensive and therefore not worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It boils back to the conversation we, we had earlier around you know, the differentiation between one-to-one and, and one-to-many, right? If you're able to serve the right message to the right person at the right time, um, you're going to get a significantly higher revenue percent, right? So again, like it's something without getting too in the weeds with uh, with one of the kind specifically, it's, it's something we specialize in. Um, and we've seen some unbelievable results um, with our SMS channel um, over particularly UK and US, um, you know, to the point that I think in some instances, we're driving 22.5% of overall digital revenue for some organizations at the moment, just based off abandonment emails and SMS channels. So correct to your point, if you, if you do it, do it well, um, and and the level of sophistication like suits the channel we're talking about. Then you know the the opportunity is is massive, and I think particularly for a lot of retailers, it's it's relatively untapped. There's also then the the ability to communicate to you know we talked about Gen Zs and Millennials earlier on. Um, you know they're they're a differing audience. I'd argue they probably don't spend as much time in their inbox for email, aside from probably signing up to apps and using it for two factor authentication, right? If you were to send them text messages that were, you know, high impact, relevant to them, they're going to have a performance that's significantly higher than probably sending them a, you know, even a highly performing email, right? So, 
it's a good balance again it's all about the striking that striking that balance between you know investing in the, the channels you can own and control personally and the the acquisition mediums that you're investing in to get people there in the first place yeah absolutely and yeah i agree on the kind of email versus that, that email versus sms comment um you 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 see you're much more likely to to see it notice it and act on it um by act on it i mean open it read it mm-hmm. um with an sms than an email because yeah, the, I think the majority of people probably um, have notifications on for SMS. Um, and, and so, yeah, like as soon as it comes in, there's a high chance someone will, will look at it, whereas email is a bit different, especially personal email. You know, people might have business email on, notifications on. Um, I think personal email, you know, I, I don't think I ever switched it on. Um, my, my inboxes are filtered as well. So most marketing emails go into a specific marketing email box. Um, partly that, that may be me as a marketer. So I, I want those emails there because I like to go and review them every now and again um, rather than act on them as a customer. But yeah, the the chance of me opening an email within 24 hours is I'd say almost zero um, for a marketing email because it'll be in that folder. Whereas SMS, there's probably a 90% chance of opened it within 10 minutes. Just uh, moving on a little bit then, uh, do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? Uh, I do, but I'm going to be very careful with which ones I, uh, which ones I air given uh, the potential audience here. I, I guess I've got, I've got two what, like stand out. And actually, I think the, one of them ties in very well to what we're kind of talking about here, right? So the, the generational shift in the channel of choice, right? So communicating one-to-one, so this, this SMS and email kind of conversation here, right? So I'm... I'm 35 years old. I live in my email inbox. Like if I see, let's say an email from Wiggle that has some form of, you know, razzle dazzle discount or something of interest to me visually or whatever, I'm likely to react really well to that. Um, I'd probably argue a little bit too well in some instances. However, if I then look at, you know, my, my teenage, you know, nieces and nephew, right. They're glued to their mobile phones. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly sure that, as I said a minute ago, look, they only ever use an email inbox for, you know, logging into apps and all that sort of stuff. So again, one of my pet peeves is, do, do you really think that a really well, regardless of how well it's put together and the, the level of discount and such that you're putting into that, do you really think that a well-crafted stream of emails to the latter, you know, my nieces and nephews is going to perform well? bearing in mind the medium that you're sending it to them on, or, you know, if you interrupted their mobile screen time, do you think that's going to be a slightly better impact? Right. So I think that's, that's one of them. And again, it's, it's a very, very easily solved solution. The main one that I have is like, there is fundamentally so much data out there right now that it's still being grossly underutilized. So like cycling, I, you know, I'm still going to cycling brand XYZ a week after spending an inordinate amount of money on the latest and greatest bit of carbon fiber, yet as soon as I get to the website, I'm presented with the same inordinate amount of bike that I've already, you know, got got there. So for me, that's just frustrating as a user. Uh, you know, t- take take me out of the the, the the job that I'm in and the, the, the op- like the, the the sector that I operate in. Like to me, that's just a the technology exists like to address that challenge, but we seemingly we seemingly rank the acquisition of it higher, right? So the customer in purchasing something is more important than the user experience thereafter. Yeah. So again, I think I made this point a couple of times. I'm just like, from from my 
I guess the the educated opinion I have, having worked in this industry, it's we just need to be getting a better balance of these things, right? And um, yeah, technology is there to to help bridge that gap. Um, yeah, actually, in both of those examples that I've given you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that's not got me in trouble with any of the uh, the brands that I shop from because I'd like to continue shopping from them. Um, I guess I'm going to put the question back to you, Will. Like, what's uh, what bugs you? What are your pet peeves? Oh God, I've got so many. Um, <laughs> I just uh, comments on yours first, actually. Um, I guess in that first example is, is specifically, it's just a case of having an exit intent pop up that says email or SMS. I mean, it could be that simple, or you know, in the purchase flow, just asking people. You know which one they'd like to to opt into, something like that. You know where where would you prefer to receive your op- offers? One thing we did in in when I was at the gambling company actually uh, after GDPR was we we just incentivized different channels. So we'd say, you know, it was partly a it was partly a compliance thing because uh, I, th- I think I don't know if it was just our take on it or if it is actually a GDPR thing. You have to get a specific opt in to each each channel individually. That, that was our understanding at the time. And so we said, well, what we'll do is when people sign up, we'll put a box in front of them and say, you know, you can sign up to email, SMS, calls, and direct mail, and you'll get a small bonus for each of them. And then uh, you kind of work out which ones they want by the ones they uh, either don't opt into uh, or the ones they unsubscribe to um, shortly afterwards. Um, my pet peeves. Uh, now, now, now you're on the spot. <laughs> I feel like like I'm one of these people that almost every day I want to tweet or say to someone, do you know what my biggest pet peeve right now is X? And every day it's something different. Um, I think think there's a lot of that um, just not taking into account where I am in the life cycle with you. Mm. So if I have purchased from you, take that into account with your email marketing stuff. If I haven't purchased from you, you know, maybe I need some more information or education. I don't need an email just full of products because it's you no, know, th- there must be something I'm looking for. You know, if I came to your website, I'm not, you know, no one except marketers like me, obviously, uh, not many people are browsing loads of different websites and just adding their email addresses in just to receive those, those weekly, uh, email blasts full of full of products no one is doing that so when people capture those emails you know through exit intent and stuff there should be some work to done on on that first maybe that first email or first sms like what are you looking for like what can we help you with you know trying to actually understand what that customer wants and therefore how you can help them rather than just saying cool here's your 10 percent off discount uh, and then a few days later, here's 10 different categories you can purchase from. So, um, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's relevant to the topic that we've been we've been talking about, that first-party data, really. It's, you know, just ask me. Ask me what I want. I mean, this this, um, uh, this client I mentioned earlier, the one, the one we did the survey for, um, a, a lot of this survey is focused around trying to rebuild the website in a way which will allow customers to find what they're looking for super easily because it's you know it's it's quite a specific niche um but with quite a lot of options um and that that's you know that's why we've got loads of information loads of feedback um because we're asking people what they want and uh yeah just not 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 many companies do it do they mm. you know i know 
there's a lot of talk about pop-ups get in the way, pop-ups are annoying and stuff. But I think it's the execution. Now, it's the same reason people say email marketing is dead. It's because they're not doing it very well. And so yeah. they don't see the value in the channel. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's probably the same with almost every channel where someone says it's rubbish, uh, it doesn't work and something. It's probably because they're just doing it badly. Yeah, uh, I think um, I, I, to coin a phrase I used earlier on, I think the around the email pop-up piece and just the general you know cx of a, a website like the level of sophistication as i said has to improve the more complex things become right the, capturing data i think for a lot of organizations is, is seemingly uncharted territory and therefore is a more complex thing for them to get their head around what they have to understand is that they need a slightly more sophisticated approach to doing that and it's not just a case of slinging a pop-up on entrance and like capturing data with a 50 percent discount and then you know interrupting you know customer journeys you know any opportunity it's it's doing it surgically it's doing it based on you know a level of intent or demonstrating a behavior on a website and doing it at the right point and period in that journey and then remembering they've done it as well i think is also super important yeah um, you know which is which is challenging but you know it's something that we 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 are very well versed in helping retailers do so you know we know it well and i think we're probably dumbing the problem down because we we know that we can solve it very easily but i think just a, a slightly like broader just more general awareness of this whole um notion of using first party data particularly with things that are that are kind of rearing rearing their heads at the moment with the ios with the cookie piece um you know it does feel as though it's kind of coming to a uh, an inflection point at the moment where I think a lot of brands are starting to come around to it a little bit more freely, which is, you know, which is, which is great to see. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I feel like I've, I've probably got the answer to this last question, but um, is there a particular area of marketing you feel is quite underrated? I suppose, you know, aside from first party data and SMS. Very good question. I, 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 th- I mean, look, to, to, to beat the drum, I, I still feel like the, the the audience ownership, the owned channel marketing is, is is still such a massive area of opportunity. I think we've, we've said it between the two of us, I think a number of times now that even like email um, in the majority of instances, there are some brands out there that do email incredibly well, um, you know, and it's upwards of 40, 50% of their overall, you know, digital revenue. However, I think for most, it does tend to be the, you know, the forgotten child, right? And and getting that piece right, feeding, you know, good quality data into it, um, you know, is only going to be, f- you know, throwing really good quality fuel on the fire. Um, so, yeah, I think you know, to, to cop out of answering that question and try and direct it back to something that is... Uh, it's relatively topical for this conversation and also what we do. I, you know, I, I very much feel that, you know, that is an area that a lot of brands could be, um, could be doing more in, right? And again, it helps get them off the... Uh, uh, the addiction to to pumping cash into to the big boys in Facebook and Google, and it gives them that little bit more ownership, a little bit more um, you know creative uh, creative ownership and execution as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's been really fantastic stuff. Uh, I think I completely agree with everything. Really, um, there's, there's so much more opportunity in first party data. I suppose it just needs a little bit more investment and resource from companies. You know, they need to spend a little bit more time actually thinking about the strategies involved with. Uh, personalizing, you know, using that data, personalizing and um, and focusing on customer retention. Um, if people want to get in touch, find out more, what's, uh, what should they do? Um, yeah, I'm very, very easily contactable. So LinkedIn, probably maybe one of the easier ways or mediums to, to get hold of me. So I'm, I think I'm john.halley um, on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, any any questions, queries, um, I, you know, if people want to disagree with me, I'd be more than happy to... Um, 
you know, to have a to have a chat. So again, like if there's anyone listening that's 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 generally taking something from this, they would like to know a little bit more about uh, Wonderkind in general and how we typically help other retailers address these sorts of problems. Then I will, of course, be um, more than welcome the opportunity to to have a chat. Perfect. Thanks, John. Thank you very much. We all appreciate it. The more you learn about your customers, the better you can market to them and to other potential customers. With data-related issues around you know, the death of cookies and iOS 14, it's even more important that you're collecting this data and doing something with it. As I've said time and time again, if you give your customers a personalized and segmented experience, they'll be far more engaged with your brand and far more valuable to it. I'm sure you're aware of how expensive it is to acquire new customers. So correct usage of first-party data is not only a great way to reduce that cost, but also ensures you keep those customers you acquire for longer. If you'd like to learn more about first-party data and one-to-one conversations, reach out to John on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, uh, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com. Next up, I've got Joris Byron with me, and we're going to be talking about conversion optimization. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Thank you.